Thank you for joining us wherever you are. This podcast episode is brought to you by the Old Ways Actual Play Team. This actual play uses the 7th edition Call of Cthulhu tabletop role-playing game rules by Chaosium. This actual play is performed by adults and in an adult setting. While we try very hard to stick to language for all ages, listeners should know that this podcast may include mature themes. All content, including names, places, events, companies, and etc., that may bear resemblance to entities living or dead, is strictly coincidental. My name is Michael Diamond, and for tonight's game, I will be your keeper. Thank you for joining us again in another episode of the Old Ways Podcast. I'm your keeper, Keeper Michael, and we return to Masks of Neurothetep in our Traveling to the Orient section. And so, at the top of the show, we'd like to thank you, our listeners, and also our Patreon supporters. If you would like to join our Patreon supporters, you can at patreon.com slash the old ways podcast, where you can breathe life or death into the lungs of one of many investigators or characters. And so I'd also like to start the show with an introduction. So I'm going to start to my right. This is Morgan. I play Lillian Lane and Sam and I, we met an interesting fella. Indeed you did. In fact, you invited him to dinner and then Sam is considering evidently pilfering things in his room or finding out more. More on that later in a mm-hmm. moment, Sam. I'm sure we'll get to it. Uh, at the end of the table. This is Jake. I'm playing Jack Doyle. And uh, we get to, I get to meet an uh, interesting person as well while Sam pilfers and burglars <laughs> his uh, room. It's also true. You also saw things in the ocean last yes, episode. Yes, yes, again. And no one else did. It's almost as if it's just you, Jack. <laughs> Uh, to Jack's right. This is James. I'll be playing Dr. Sigmund Tartenbach. And um, I was very careful not to see things in the ocean. That doesn't mean I didn't see things, but I just did not see things in the ocean. Yes, uh, Sigmund saw things in his dreams or in a meditative state, and they may or may not have been from the future. No one's really sure. Uh, I'm certain we'll find out at some point. Uh, and last, but most certainly not least, uh, this is Alex playing Sam Baron, who is only an unassuming valet who has no uh, intention of rifling through anyone's unmentionables. Or mentionables, for that matter. Uh, so we are in the missing Maeve O'Shea formation again. Uh, Miss O'Shea is enjoying a peaceful slumber, perhaps somewhere in uh, a, a birth, or perhaps she has uh, transcended space and time again and has um, become a snake. Who knows? But I'm sure we'll find out at some point. We raise the curtain tonight on the storm-tossed Hormuz. So as the day's light fades, covered by a palette of gray and black clouds, as time passes as well, the ship continues to churn back and forth to be tossed by the waves of the ocean and accented in the occasional rays of a glass of coffee or tea. The simple movement going up and down the hallways here. Lightning. Thunder. And this feeling that the occupants of this vessel cannot get away from which is something is very angry at this ship it must be 
it must be very angry to toss it so. The first few hours going into this protective shell that most of the occupants go into their berths to hide from the the storm are reasonable enough. The middle of the vessel is very well protected. It is closed off by a couple of different passageways from the outer windows. But that does not keep the ferocity of this storm at bay for long. The rain has gone sideways, Jack. The porthole shows the truth. And even its relative diminutive size still gives away the truth that exists outside. It's more than the rain and the wind and the thunder. The vessel groans at what the sea is doing to it. That makes everyone a little bit more concerned than you were this morning. Your moose has been in service for a little while. She's not a young vessel. She's not terribly old. She has been through a few hands. Different companies. She did serve in the war. Much as you did. But you certainly wish you were closer to the coast than you are now. To be out here too long might be folly. And none of you are in control of where you are going. So, that is our stage. Miss Lane, how are you filling the hours? Dinner is several hours away. I'm assuming I still have the book. The I Ching book. The I Ching, yes. I Ching. You have the book of changes, yes? Yes. So I'd like to continue studying that. Okay. Certainly. Since I'm obsessed. Certainly. You you are obsessed. That is known. Doctor, we're going to continue your meditative state in a moment. I'm going to assume that you're going to utilize that as a method of preventing you from getting seasick. Absolutely. And panic. And then, Jack, how are you spending those hours before dinner? I'll probably do my own version of meditation, and that's uh, cleaning, uh, disassembling, assembling guns and cleaning them. Yeah, that makes sense. Give your mind something to work through. Yeah. Yeah. Now, most of the firearms, uh, whether they be long guns or whether they be revolvers, your forty-five, etc., most of them are in fairly working order. But this is less about making sure that they've had a daily cleaning is more of a almost a almost your own sort of meditative way of focusing on something that you can do mm-hmm. keep my mind and my hands busy mm. yes we all know what the idle hands end up doing so sam with uh, jack playing with guns lillian reading and the the doctor Becoming one with uh, the Hare Krishna, what what are you up to? I mean, you said it. You said it yourself. I'm going to go do the devil's work. 
once everyone retires to their the kind of the safety of their rooms and every I'm sure everybody is in their spot because uh, I I don't have a good relationship with boats at sea getting pitched during a storm. Does anyone? No, but okay. I've specifically gone overboard, so I'm really just not. I need to I need to focus on my own things, and I need to kind of. I've spent a lot of time reflecting, spent a lot of time studying. What I haven't done is what I do. So uh, other than, you know, the prep I did for that lunch dinner that we did. Mm -hmm. So I will be changing out of my ballet wear and re re reinserting myself as a member of the, the staff. And I'll be using that cover to attempt to discern where Mr. Jeffrey Leland Jones's room is. Very well. I'd like you to give me a track roll. I'm going to put you at hard difficulty because of the terrain and also your um, desire to not necessarily be in rough waters. This does make tracking down somebody on the ship a little bit more difficult. So that is a 79 out of 76. It's technically a failure. But you said it was a hard difficulty anyway, right? So like, even if I spend the three points, I don't succeed. You don't, but I will make a devil's bargain with you if you'd like. I will offer you a hand of fate if you are willing to spend the luck to get the success. So that way you can reroll with advantage. Yes, I will. Very good. You drive a hard bargain. Indeed. Oh yeah, that's a 25 under 76. Thank you, hand of fate. And devil himself I'll accept all the praise for the devil sort of my job so you spend the better part of an hour tracking down Mr. Jones's room Jeffrey Leland Jones and he is not midship his berth is much further forward towards the he's starboard side um He's packed in with a a couple of other rooms where it seems like there's some very attentive staff or valets that move through the corridor there. And you, after a few moments of watching the staff, the other staff people move through this area, whether they be staff to the people who are staying or staff of the ship, you realize what he has. He has like a spider's corner. And so he has a room in a sort of in an L at the corner of an L that lower corner and the rooms to the left and the right of him are very busy and his room is not and so it's very difficult it would be very difficult for anyone to get in position near his room without being noticed by four people and he sort of it seems anyway like this is the sort of room you would take Because you're in a busy hallway, but you're not busy. And no one can sneak up on you and attempt to covertly get into your room because it would be impossible to not be seen. So the only unguarded entrance is the porthole on the outside of his room, likely. Yep. Uh, Yeah, I'm not going out there, especially in this storm. But... There are multiple hours between now and then, and if I'm relatively certain that this is his room, um, with my newfound, I'll say, respect, 
for uh, Mr. Jones's discretion, I will make myself useful to the rest of the staff. And considering all of the hubbub about the storm, I'm sure there's plenty to do for the people on this side of the ship. Uh, I'll also be wearing the uh, the beard that I was wearing when I was working with Miss Lane. Okay. You put on a beard. I'm assuming at dinner, there's going to be probably a lull. So, mm-hmm. um, yes, I will. I will continue to make myself busy. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll buzz in and out just like the rest of the staff do. Uh, if there are carts that need to be cleaned away or things that need to be brought to people's rooms, I'm sure that there are people that want, I don't know, towels, fainting couches, whatever these people ask for. <laughs> but this should keep me relatively distracted from this pitching vessel. You you can see that some of the people in service are having a little, not not the ship staff, but the, the people in service to the people who are in the first class berth, they're, they're struggling. People are having to use handrails now. And unfortunately, you're witness to not just one or two of them spilling something, which is unfortunate, obviously, given their job. You see the lights flicker in this hallway. Okay. That could potentially change a lot of things. We'll see. We'll see as things proceed. Okay. She's going to hang out. Well, like I said, I will, I will continue. I will buzz around as much as the staff does and I will move things out of the hallway, push carts around. I will, I will make myself, I will keep myself out of people's way. And if someone asks me to do something, I will just do it with some sort of mumbled agreement. I want to treat that. I was thinking about a fast talk role or yeah, I think acting is where I'm going to land at. An 84 under 77. Okay. So given, given this, given the scenario, I think what I should do is ingratiate myself to one of the more, one of the more harrowed of the, uh, of, (laughs) of the personal staff. And, uh, I will go out of my way to try to make their job easier specifically so I'll kind of insert myself into a situation with probably either the most underappreciative of guests or underappreciated of staff. I, I love that. Show me your hard mode customer service. And that's a failure. That is an 81 or 77. And I cannot, uh, I can't luck a push roll, right? No, you cannot. This is the part of the game where I'm going to remind everyone, our listening audience at home and those of you abroad, that failed push rolls are bad. Uh, so you attempt to ingratiate yourself with the uh, the staff here and you get ordered into the kitchen uh, to begin taking to begin taking food service out to uh, the the dining area immediately <laughs> and before you can truly mongoose your way into a different position you're laden with multiple trays and they begin putting these ceramic plates metal covers on on the plates you get loaded up with five or ten of these plates per tray and and you're getting 
you know, verbally marched out towards the main dining area where uh, the well-to-do of the first class, the Ormuz, is beginning to is beginning to have their early dinner. They have two dinner cycles here, so there's, there's an early and a, and a late. They're like hobbits. No, it's the old people have to eat. Oh, okay. Bingo. <laughs> and before you know it, Sam, you are walking amongst the pale, frail, muckety-mucks of society serving them dinner. I'll leave you there for a minute. So, Dr. You take in this massive, explosive force. First as a a momentary event. And then long-term as the, those curling clouds continue to burble and blossom with reds and oranges. You begin to look for signs, something, some sort of significance within them. And so I guess what I'd like to know from you is you went for more of a bird's eye view of this climactic event, earth changing event. Where I'm at doesn't seem to be bound by your traditional gravitational pull. So yeah, he's going to get a larger or a, um, a higher, not larger, a higher view not exactly from the rim of the volcano. Uh, he doesn't want to be that close to the action, but something closer, something close enough that he can see, but still far enough away that he feels he can't be a hundred percent certain that things here can't hurt his psyche in some fashion. So he's far enough away that he can't touch it yet. You move a little bit vertically. And you realize that down deep inside this, well, former mountain, there was something there. There was a, there was this beating magma heart. You're not sure if that is the cause or the center of the effect of what you're seeing, Doctor. It almost looks like for a moment... It almost looks like someone set off a massive bomb. The, the inner portion of that of that mountain is is crushed. It's crumbled away. But the smoke trail almost makes you see. It almost feels like visually that the air inside is moving up, as if something was born out of this mountain. As if this event was the beginning focal point of something much larger, much more cataclysmic. Yes. All right. Well, caution be damned. The doctor is nothing if not curious. He's going to get at least a little close. And as we all know, there's never been a problem where somebody who's flying getting too close to something falls or has something bad happen to them. (laughs) So we should be fine. You have a, a moment of mental <laughs> parallel with Icarus as you move a little closer. And so now what I'd like, Doctor, is a hard, will, a hard power roll from you. You got it. To keep yourself together. Okay, so I have a, uh, since I get a, a, a 
advantage on power rolls. I have rolled a 38 under 65, which is a success, but not a hard success, and a 67 over 65, which is a failure. Right. So you, you take you take the lower of the two. You would get the yep. 38. That's not a hard, but you could spend luck if you wanted to. I, God. <laughs> or, or you could push that roll. Because no bad things have ever happened to anyone who've pushed a roll either. Correct. And you would get, you would retain, because we were on really, you would retain advantage on the second roll too. So you get two bites at the apple, essentially. Uh, of course, it, that's not to say that no harm ever came from eating an apple. That's true. That's true. Well, you know what? Um, in the face of in the face of overwhelming curiosity, the doctor has in fact never been uh, traditionally a coward or even particularly cautious. So true to himself, he's going to I'm going to push the roll, and he is going to. Oh boy. He's going to throw the caution to the wind, but he's going to stop flying. He has decided that the being in the air where ash and chunks are flying out is probably not mentally the best place to be. So he's going to alight on whatever island this volcano is sticking up out of, and he's going to make the rest of the way on foot because taking flight it takes concentration and is dangerous. So he's going to get closer. Um, he's going to get much closer and, and see what he can see, but he's going to do it by getting closer on foot, which opens him up to a lot more dangerous possibilities. Interesting. I believe in you, Doctor. All right. I have a 36 out of 65, and then the second roll was a 19 under 65, which is, in fact, a hard success, sir. Very good. You steady yourself and remain in this form landing near the tip of this island. And as you do, you see that lava flow at its center because portions of the island have been destroyed down to the horizon level. You see that volcanic churn that's happening at the, at the, the core of this island. And you realize something just moments before you're forced to consciousness. The lava that's churning, the bits, the reds, the oranges, the, the black, right? From the cooling magma, they're patterned. They're scaled. And consciousness comes as your body leaves the center of the bed that you were focused on. And you collide forehead first with your closet. Ow. Sam, this was never on the menu. I am way out of position. <laughs> I'm inundated. You're getting the plates offloaded as quickly as you possibly can. The problem, of course, is that you don't know who gets whitefish and who gets chicken. And unfortunately, now there are many people who are attempting to tell you which one they get. And it takes a bit of, um, you know, dexterous mobility on your end. But once you get the, the platters clear, you get roped into this service. People begin looking to you for their next need, whether that be 
another drink, whether that be more food, whether that be the soup is cold, whether that be something. And you're one of three people in this section of the ship that they can go to. And I can't very well leave. It would be very suspicious to leave. Again, being resigned to my fate. As privileged as they are, they're probably pretty scared. And if if there's anything at this point that I've learned, it is that sometimes compassion is important. Mm. So it is time for me to try to put that into practice a bit and do my best to try to... In my, it's my understanding that these people are used to a certain level of uh, comfort. And in times of uncertainty, it's likely that it will soothe their uh, smooth brains. So, Your night, however, does not end there. As the dinner service continues and your, we'll say, compassion for these people continue... At one point, you get asked for coffee from here on your right side. And when you turn to, to get to the request, you turn directly into Mr. Jones, who smiles very widely at you and says, I didn't know you were pulling double duty. I don't know what you're talking about, sir. I hand him his coffee. Just kind of scratch my beard. He winks at you. He takes a sip of his coffee. Is there anything else I can help you with? Uh, you have a light. I produce one. <laughs> he lights a cigarette. And smiles. I have a dinner date to catch. Mm-hmm. As do I. He steps out of the room. Later on that evening, after your guns are clean, Jack, and Lillian, you've done some reading, and Sigmund, you've managed to, you know, put yourself back into one mental space together. The group collects itself to to have dinner, and um, you have a guest this evening. You've managed, Lillian, to uh, secure a separate room that the staff is going to serve you in for a private engagement. It's fancy. Do, do, do we get Sam as our waiter? <laughs> I, uh, please, please that would be me. awesome. Please tell me we get Sam. <laughs> and we'll leave that up to Sam. Although I would <laughs> acknowledge for the record that as someone in service right at the moment, Sam would be aware that there is a private dinner being held. He would be aware of that because the, pe- the people in the kitchen, there's a lot you can learn from uh, inside a restaurant's kitchen. Mm-hmm. You probably learn too much, yeah. actually. So... You do. You are made aware of it eventually, Sam. So now that my whole plan has been absolutely dashed uh, and my cover's been blown, I think it would be best if I, after the early dinner, before the late dinner, um, I will depart with the shift change mm. and I will pout back to my room and, <laughs> and go change back into my valet clothes. So the, the tough part for you, Sam, is that you, you end up arriving at dinner a little late. Just a couple yeah. of minutes. Because it's it's, in, it's impossible for you to get done with your duties there at the early dinner and make the late one without being 
actually late. And so for the rest of us, when Sam enters the room, dinner is in the first course. And you have all learned a little bit anyway about this Mr. Jones that Miss Lane met earlier today. He's very open as far as what he does. He um, he talks about antiquity recovery is, is sort of what he enjoys doing. And you get the sense that he enjoys thumbing his nose at authority. And that he has been known on occasion to, you know, have to deal with the situations in a wide variety of ways. But given his family's wealth and station, it gives him the luxury of going out and deciding what he wants to do with his life and just doing it. And you get that all over a lobster bisque. That's just the soup. He is particularly fascinated, Doctor, with um, your area of study. Um, mostly when it comes to the um, the application of autopsies. What you actually learn from the human body based on dissection. Oh, if he if he's um, interested in that, then he finds me a, a willing conversational partner who... who uh, has a doctor's filter for what is and is not appropriate uh, conversation at a table. So occasionally someone may have to nudge Doc. And <laughs> <laughs> he openly admits that he's, he's not a medical professional in any way, uh, but he finds the study of the human body fascinating based on some lectures he took part in just in the audience at Harvard Medical in in England. He was in the audience for some live, quote unquote, work. Yeah, I uh, engage him as a layman. I'm not there to uh, bowl him over or anything, but talk to him, you know, as not as, as if he's not stupid. He's clearly not. So, you know, take the opportunity to discuss it with somebody who finds it interesting, but not, you know, have to talk shop. <laughs> Sam, you come in during one of these narratives that the that Sigmund is giving about you know the valves of the human heart and uh, all this stuff and so you sort of come into the room while this is going on and uh, Jack you see Sam enter so so is everybody else the only person really doesn't see Sam enter is Sigmund because he's so engrossed with the topic of choice I'm telling you that there is um, on the horizon, there will be a way in the near future where you could replace certain organs inside human people with other organs from other people. That would people would be donating organs and it would be an amazing uh, breakthrough in recovery. I, but believe me, I am not insane when I say this, but because it would be changing medical diagnosis all over the world. I, heart, kidney, what would replace all of them. I was hungry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, Chef. <laughs> we saved you a seat and look, liver. Sounds lovely. Hey, Sam, nice of you to join us. Yeah, I got a little busy. So I, I sit down and I'm not going to hide my eyes from my would be interlocutor, <laughs> but it's kind of hard to hide the defeat. <laughs> I just kind of like weighing on my brow. As I'm no longer wearing a beard, obviously. So I probably slide into my seat in a uh, less than prim fashion. 
This will be a bit of a slouch to me. It's nice to get this private space here, Miss Lane. It's uh, much more agreeable than the, uh, well, the open dining area, which, if memory serves, is very, very busy, wouldn't you say, Sam? Oh, yes. Lots of fish and chicken and chicken and fish and coffee and tea. Jack, make a psychology roll. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to figure out what they're talking about. Actually, I give, you, I give it for the doctor, too, given his level of psychology. That's 4,265. Okay, fair enough. 67 under 86. <laughs> Doc smiles. Yeah, so something some happened between these two people. You're not sure what it is. But well, some, something went on. I, I know that he's supposed to be uh, breaking into his room right now, and he's not. So you do know that. So what did I miss? Besides uh, appetizer. Other than that, and we were just really getting to, like, at least I think, what, what you're all going to Shanghai for. You know, you asked about something rather specific earlier today. We don't have to get into that, but, you know, I... I'm going. Obviously, you're going. We're all not going together, but we're going there for a reason. So what? where are you going? We are going to Shanghai to battle a super evil person and take them down and save the world. And I take a big drink of my bourbon. Probably my fourth one of the day. So do I. (laughs) (laughs) Doc audibly snorts. He looks a little stunned for a second, just a moment, and then he can chuckles. Okay, got it. Yeah, no, the if if you're looking for big bad evil guys, I guess Shanghai's the place, right? And Egypt, and London, New York, and New York, and Chicago. Let's let's just say there is uh, more in uh, heaven and earth than it's dreamt up in your philosophies. I tend to believe that. You know all those things you have dreams about that are nightmares? That are nightmares instead of dreams or whatever. Mm-hmm. Take that, amplify it by a thousand, and that's what exists in the real world. Okay, I guess I don't follow. Like, we, We're kind of in the same business you are. We are. But we oh, collect okay. uh, things that are dangerous. We oh. take them out of the hands of people who would use them. Yeah, okay, so we're... We're importer-exporters as well. We're, we're, we're business-adjacent, not the same, yes. though. I don't collect anything. Well, we collect and lock away things. Hmm. Okay, but are you keeping them from the people and the cultures are supposed to have them? Nobody should have these. Is that really, like, your business to say, though? Mm, temporarily until we can figure out what better to do with them. If, in the long run, it is better to send them back to the home and let those people deal with them, that would be fine. But for now, we are taking them away from people who should not have them. Okay. To answer your question regarding where they should be, sometimes, when the things are the places they should be, the people that want those things go to those places and do very, very bad things to the people that are there protecting that thing. And sometimes we can help and sometimes we can't. Now now that I've seen, I have seen cultural artifacts used to leverage cultures. And that's the worst 
part of it. When people come in and they buy up land or they connect shipping routes and they take over entire cultures and then they use that culture's underpinnings and they weaponize them against them. That's that's the worst. And then, you know, they do the rest of the things that normally go with that, right? They they destroy any economy the locals have. They sub- subsume it with their own money. They take over entire cultures. They sell people into slavery. Just the worst of humanity. I've seen that. What you're talking about is imperialism. What we're talking about is worse. Hmm. Worse than imperialism. So, I'm sorry, I guess, what's worse than that? A hatred that seems to transcend border and time and place. Some things are at once. Us. Gone. You're a fairly well-read man, right? I'm pretty educated, yeah. I have, um, you ever heard of an author by the name of Jackson Elias? I, I don't think so. Hmm. He's written a number of books on uh, um, cults and things like that. The cults really aren't my thing. I, I mean, the religious artifacts, sure, uh, because a lot of that is tied to culture. These are more um, dark and hidden cults that do dark and hidden things. Well, I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to argue with you in any way, shape, or form on this, Mister Doyle. But most cults are hidden because cults generally aren't accepted by open society because they do that exact thing. Right. They harbor power and they try to pull strings. Yes, dark conspiratorial. Manipulative forces. Murderous. 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 So that's that's what you're doing out here? We're putting an end to uh, cults. All, all of them? Not well, all of them. Not all of them. Cults. Dark voices up. Have you ever heard of the Penu Foundation? Oh, sure. Yeah, out of London. I've heard of Penu. They had a dig in yeah. Cairo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We were there. They're a big offender. They are. They, um, in more than one way. Uh, have, you, have you heard that uh, Gavigan, the, the head of the Penuha Foundation, is now uh, in the wind, wanted by uh, the authorities? I hadn't heard that yet. I'd heard that there was an issue at the London Foundation building, though. And then I guess another... There was another, I don't want to call them an artifact seeker, but another archaeologist that was in London that also got, there was some murder that happened mm-hmm, in London. Mm-hmm. It was uh, closely tied to the events at the Penhew Foundation. You seem to know a lot about him. We've met. Hmm. You've met Edward Gavigan. Oh, yes. Just that's it? That's it. He is not somebody to be trifled with. Trifled with? He's not a very nice man. Hmm. 
he he dabbles in the occult. Oh, everybody dabbles in the occult. That they have money. It's the first thing they do. They want to talk to their dead aunt, or they want to, you know, learn the secrets of the universe, whatever. That's one of the first thing they do. Seances, etc. It's all too chic these days. Parties, drugs, etc. You seem like a very grounded man, Mr. Jones. And I honestly am hesitant to rock your foundation with any other information. But if if my friends are, are fit to share this kind of stuff with you, it's because they think that you can help. It's because they think that you might have something to offer. It's because they think I have information they could use. Do you? You all seem like a, a fairly merry lot of very direct, objective-minded individuals, right? So your bourbon today was uh, an advance on a hope of information. You weren't looking to make friends, Miss Lane. You were looking for a target. I'm always looking to make friends. I don't trust a lot of people. You shouldn't. No. But from what I gather from you is that you are somebody that can be trusted to an extent. Sure, I think to, to an extent. I think every most people can be trusted to an extent. To your point, Sam, I don't know. I think it might be best if we keep it to peaceful conversation at dinner. You might know some things that I don't want to know. And I might know some things you don't want to know. That's fair. Yeah, there's no reason to shake the pillars of heaven, Jack. And I agree with Sam on this one. There is one thing, then, that I would ask, just kind of based on the conversation we had earlier. And again, if you are familiar with Penhew and you're familiar with Gavigan, do you have any idea why the Penhew Foundation or Gavigan would have interest in shipping things to or from this Hofang in Shanghai, of all places? Hofang is a... Very, very rich man. Deals with a lot of priceless, seemingly priceless objects. Almost everything that I have heard about Ho Fang is that he's exactly what you would imagine a, um, you know, shipping magnet to be. He keeps expensive tastes. He is aloof. He stays away from the public light because partly because of all the craziness going on in Shanghai between the Green Gang and all of the other forces that are trying to lock that city down. It's, I mean, it's a, it's a mess. But it's also a very lucrative place to do business. That is what Ho Fang's main goal is. His driver is currency. That's what gets him up in the morning is how much more money he's going to make. Well, Mr. Jones, if I may... Um, I think you might be mistaken because if your interest, if your passion is repatriation, I can tell you firsthand that a sizable amount of rare Egyptian artifacts were getting sent to him from Gavigan. I mean, I'm happy to put him on the list, but 
just because somebody is doing something allegedly doesn't necessarily mean I know about it. No, I'm not assuming that you do. I'm saying that maybe our interests align more than you'd like to assume that they do. Maybe. I I don't know what other assistance I could potentially give you. Who knows? It's, you know what? We can, we can move on. It's, uh, it's not a big deal. Um, so you've, have you been to Shanghai before? A couple of times. Yeah. Yeah. What is, uh, you, uh, what is going on in Shanghai at the moment? Well, um, it's a, it's a city that's falling to a corrupt heart. And the city is chopped up into different pieces. There's a, a section that is held by American views and American power. The U.S. bought a section of that space. And so did the French and so did the British. And they collectively have a the legal ability to move between those spaces. And it gives the politicos that are native to Shanghai all sorts of stomach aches. Because many of the places within those in-between spaces are very lawless or seemingly lawless. And I got to tell you, we wouldn't be the first or last country that tries to destabilize China. And we do it for, I speak, we as the U.S. We do it for a lot of different reasons. Uh, But one of the reasons we do it is because the Orient is a very lucrative place to do business if you know what you're doing. It can also be very deadly. The gangs that exist there, these groups we're definitely going to be ones you're going to want to watch out for. You're going to want to be careful, especially if you're in a similar business that I am in, even if it is a bit more aggressive or objective or gray. A lot of the people that live in and around Shanghai, the money people, they're going to be well protected. But that doesn't mean that they're impervious. Have you been doing any language study? Yeah, so uh, me and uh, another associate who's uh, under the weather right now uh, has learned some Cantonese. Good. The biggest barrier that mainlanders will use against you is language. They won't speak English. And they'll do it on purpose, even if they know it. There are a couple of decent, decent places to do business or even to just enjoy. Shanghai has a lot to offer. Well, uh, we'll try to do uh, enjoy our visit to Shanghai as much as possible. You guys get dinner. It comes in. Roast lamb. I thank the stars that it's not chicken or fish. It <laughs> <laughs> gets served for you. And Jones is a good conversationalist about any number of topics. He is well-read. Uh, he's... I don't know if apolitical is the right word for it, but he doesn't really land on any one specific political issue back home hard. Uh, but he seems to be fairly well read into those as well. Uh, he seems to have a taste for, it definitely has a taste for oriental food. 
Uh, you see him use chopsticks. He doesn't have any um, issue using them. Like many people that might when they first... You can tell he's been to the Orient a few times. Does he ever indicate specifically what he's doing in Shanghai? He does not. Now, that doesn't mean you can't ask. But in an open conversation, he never... He will. He never lands on what he's doing. Then during during dinner, I will say, uh, "Yeah, Mister Jones, uh, I have to say, um, you you're pretty adept at handling uh, a social ambush. You've been very forthwith with us thus far, and I, I know we really appreciate it. So I don't think I'd be overstepping and saying that if there's anything, maybe you know, we we'll, we have a lot of business in Shanghai, as I'm sure you do." You've offered us assistance as far as this information that you can provide. If there's anything that maybe we could help you with, well, we all have business there. There's uh, someone there specifically I'm looking for. Do they know you're looking for them? Not yet. I'm doing whatever I can to make sure that they don't get tipped off that I'm coming into town. So, of course. You'll forgive me if Jones is not the given name. What about Leland? Leland's my father. Lying isn't necessarily something that I enjoy doing, but it is something sometimes I have to do. And not knowing what side of the fence, so to speak, that people exist on, I tend not to offer a ton of reality to the first uh, draw, you know? Next time, perhaps choose... Leland is still a fairly remarkable name. Choose something common like Thomas or perhaps Henry. That said, there's a woman in Shanghai. I think she has something I'm looking for. She's powerful politically, and it might be a little dicey getting in and out of her space with what I want. But it's not going to stop me from trying. It's a Peloponnesian artifact I'm looking for was rumored to be in this area a few years ago. Supposedly it came back towards the States and then was vanished. And you think this woman has it? I think if there's anybody on the planet that has it, it's her. Would it be easier for you to procure this if you found out whether or not she had it from someone who does not know her? I don't think so. Hmm. I think it's going to go one of two ways. It's one of those types of things. Either she's going to be willing to part with it in a manner of speaking, or she won't be. And if it's the latter, then I'll have to figure out how to retrieve it, because it's not where it's supposed to be. But if your hand is tipped and she's made aware of the fact that you're looking for it, it's going to make it even harder to acquire. That's right. That's why I'm here under an assumed name. And we'll just say the, I won't, I won't look like this the next time you see me. And that's okay. Maybe, maybe grow your beard out. Mm-hmm. You know, the beard only works so long. Yeah, it's sweaty. Yes. Do you need assistance with getting this artifact? I wouldn't ask you for a, a single thing, Miss Lane. Your very presence in the room is enough payment for me. I snort. But it would be, I mean, Sam, wouldn't it be a good opportunity to, 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 to practice my stealth skills? I say nothing. (laughs) (laughs) 
but I will, uh, I will barely nod and, and just kind of blink. Rumor has it that she keeps a few bears. No. Oh. And that she's bears. Like bears. Like real bears. Not like teddy bears. No. And that she's been known to feed her enemies to bears. No. Oh. She sounds delightful. I'm sure I'll find out. Well, uh, hopefully uh, you don't end up as a, a dinner companion to the bears. I agree. Do you know where she is at? Uh, she's in and around the Shanghai area. She keeps a covert location, as far as I know. She has a some sort of townhouse tucked away, I think. Well, look for a place that is ordering in a lot of meat. Yes, her has disappearing staff, one of the two, right? Mm. Mm. What's her name? You know, Miss Lane, I'm not going to tell you. It'll keep you from getting too inquisitive. My no, gift to you all. Happen. I like theirs. <laughs> There's no force in this world that could keep Lillian Lane from being too inquisitive. Mm. Well, perhaps uh, if we come by something resembling this artifact, it might help to know what it looks like. Well, sure. I'll tell you what I'm looking for. It's about a foot tall, give or take. It's two people standing almost back to back. One man, one woman. They share a torso. It's black. It's made of obsidian or something like that. That remind me of the vase from the Penny Foundation. It does not. Okay. It doesn't sound traditionally religious. It's not, at least as far as I know. Rumor has it that it was found a few years ago in the Himalayas, and then reports had it being brought to Paris, and then it vanished and went into some someone's collection. And all of a sudden, I got word that it's turned up here. And I'm trying to recover it because it's one of those things that probably shouldn't be in whoever's hands it has now. Well, uh, if we do come across it in our uh, dealings, maybe we'll get a chance to tell you someday. Maybe. It sounds like the storm's finally subsiding, though. Good luck in Shanghai. And uh, maybe I'll see you out there. He stands up and puts his hat on. He has a nice crisp fedora tonight. Miss Lane? Mr. Jones, but not Jones? <laughs> Jones works fine. I knew you weren't a Jones. It's just... Are you from Los Angeles? I've like, been there. Really? Oh. Well, this has been quite entertaining good and interesting that's what life should be right interesting and entertaining that is very true he steps away from the table and then walks out he pauses just a moment and nods at you Sam and then continues on his path the, the pause is not even a full heartbeat um, after he leaves I will uh, open my bag and I will slide dark book onto the table and start flipping through it. Okay. 
I'm going to try to look for references of two people sharing a torso or some sort of symbolism of shared, joined upper bodies and people. It's a Cthulhu mythos role. It is. It is. So, uh, Sam. Hmm, just a second. He's leaving through pages. <laughs> it's okay. It's still probably going to be a big fat failure. It's a 76 under 13. That is a failure for sure. Um, so you don't find any immediate reference in it, uh, to it in the old wizard's, uh, notebook uh, but it does sound like a fantastic artifact yes Jack um, I, I believe that you uh, had a, another engagement at dinner yeah so about that um, so I kind of got shanghaied by kitchen staff and uh, wait staff and I ended up serving the uh well, the well-to-dos in the dining room for a lot longer than I needed to, and I lost track of time and lost position. Basically, I'm lucky I got out of there with my fingers intact. But I met some lovely people. Well, it couldn't happen to a nicer guy. I'm not seeing anything in the book about that artifact, but it sounds odd. Well, maybe we can ask uh, Miss O'Shea when she's up and about. Well, on that note, our travel to the Orient has concluded. And so, in the coming weeks, our crew of investigators will land in Shanghai. And we'll need all the help they can get. So thank you for joining us on this episode of Masks of Neonathotep. We greatly appreciate your listening ears. Thank you, and good night.